Before we continue, I wanted to share a quick tip from our sponsor, Referral Candy. Find out what's working, then do more of that. So look at your top sales channels and then double down. That's the 80-20 rule in action. For many stores, word of mouth is a top channel, but how do you double down on word of mouth? Check out Referral Candy. They increase word of mouth sales by giving your store a refer a friend program, and they're giving you guys 50 bucks to get started with it. Just go to kurtelster.com slash referral candy to get started. Hello and welcome to this episode of the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, agency owner, EtherCycle, author, e-commerce bootcamp, and a lot of other things. Um, you can find it more at kurtelster.com. That's my, my podcast radio voice. I, at this point, I can't say unofficial Shopify podcast any other way. I apologize for that. Joining me today is uh, a wonderful gentleman who really, uh, through a mastermind group that he started, has, has changed my life, been a lot of inspiration uh, to me, and is also an, quite the interesting character. He's been on the show before. Please welcome Nick DeSabato. Hi there. How's it going? Really happy to be here. So Nick, the last time you were here, uh, the it was good. You know, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. I like talking to you. But for you, you had a a, a great outcome from it. You landed uh, your favorite client. Yeah, I. No offense to my other clients. All, I love <laughs> all of fault. my. All of my clients are really my favorite client. Kurt. You're my favorite but in client. A sense, my mistake. Sorry. In another more accurate sense, no. Um, but no, I had I landed a fantastic client, um, and they are a lifestyle everyday carry brand called Keysmart. And um, if you go to getkeysmart.com, they're wonderful. Um, and they sell it's essentially like a multifunction tool for your keys, and it makes your keys a little bit more organized. Has a few extra tools, all these other things. And um, just to talk about what I do for a living, I run basically A/B tests for e-commerce and SaaS businesses. And A/B tests for those in the audience who don't know, you have a change, you want to vet the economic impact of it. You test it against the control, and you determine what the actual lift is. You come up with ideas through research. You end up making that a core part of your design process, so that you're not making bad decisions and could potentially hurt your business, and you're more carefully and scientifically vetting what could actually convert better. Um, Keysmart's revenue has gone up, I forget the last calculation I've done, I think it's something like 75% as a result, direct result of my A-B testing over the past nine months. And uh, never mind the fact that they have also been growing significantly as a company, so that helps as a force multiplier, right? Like, they're getting more traffic, they're getting more sales, and the people who are coming in are more likely to convert. That last bit is because of my work. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, they're on, they're on Shopify Plus. Uh, they have a really cool custom theme. I've done a few, few modifications to it for them. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny, there's like a lot of brands you hear talked about on Shopify that are very popular. And you don't hear Keysmart talked about that often, which I always find strange because it, it's a cool product, but it also is quantifiably one of the most successful stores on Shopify. Yeah, I even mentioned to uh, Andy, who's uh, one of the people there, um, I was like, well, we should just say, you know, we have like thousands of happy customers. He's like, we have millions of happy customers. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, he told, I said, you know, I was talking to to Andy, Andy Bedell, who's been on the show before, um, and I said, wow, you're like, you're your Facebook campaigns and your marketing, and it's all Andy's the one who did this. Um, I, this this stuff is phenomenal. I like I've never seen anything this successful. And he said, "Yeah, we could scale it, but we can't ship fast enough." <laughs> it's like that's your problem. Your bottleneck is you literally can't like get the product out the door quick enough. That's nuts. I've never heard anyone say that. 
I think that's a really good problem to have, right? Yeah, and I, I like when I can cause good problems for my clients. That's yeah, that's what you did. Um, okay, so how <laughs> did that happen? What, what is, yeah. what's a, so they've, uh, like how did what were tests you ran? How did you go about it? How did you know what test to run? Because I know yeah. like the thing with A/B testing, everyone was like, oh, it'll help me pick the right button color, and it's not that at all. It's oh, really no. actually quite a bit more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, everybody wants to know where they should start with testing, and when they ask me that, and it's kind of thinly veiled in like, I want the one weird tip that you're doing on all of your clients that causes the revenue to go up by 75%. That's not at all true. I'm so sorry. Um, what I do is research what your customers are doing and then come up with informed guesses as to what these tests may be. Button colors generally don't work. Headlines work if you have a clear idea of what kind of headline you should be writing. There's no such thing as just writing a headline for the sake of it being, quote, more persuasive, unquote. So what I'm doing is going on your Google Analytics and figuring out if mobile is converting dismally. Okay, why? Well, the page time is taking really long time to load. Well, that kind of sucks. Why is the page taking a long time to load? Oh, you have a one megabyte product image on your page and you never bothered compressing it. And it loads great on my Comcast for business connection. And I go into Chrome and simulate a 3DG connection that's dropping occasionally and the page takes 38 seconds to load. You're not closing a sale. All I did for this, uh, that was one example of research. What I did was go into one of the product pages and then extensively compress the product image. And it ended up being like a 38K product image. It looked a little granular, whatever. It's on your cell phone. You're on a train. You don't know what it actually looks like. but And it's probably smaller than the actual product in person. Um, but it ended up converting something like 11% higher. <laughs> because way more people were able to load the page effectively and make a purchasing decision. They don't care how compressed your product image is. Or what CDN is serving it. And that was the most like basic mobile optimization thing. But I went in, said, this isn't working. Let's fix it. It's leaking money. And it wasn't a headline. It wasn't a button color. It was something that should have probably happened at the beginning of the site being built out. But nobody caught it. And so that's one thing. Another thing I run is like heat maps on your site. So I determine where people are clicking, how long on the page people are scrolling, that sort of stuff. And one thing I find very frequently in Shopify is um, they keep the same navigation on the same template from page to page. So you end up having like the full-blown navigation and all these things all over every page of the site. And that includes your shopping cart and your checkout pages. And that sucks for a variety of reasons. Uh, if you actually, this is a rare moment where I'm going to recommend something pretty fervently and say it will probably convert better. When I say probably, I mean it's likely to. Don't blame me if it doesn't. You have to test it. But um, try removing those links in your header navigation when people get to the shopping cart page. Amazon does it. eBay does it. It works extremely well for keeping people focused on conversions so they're not just like, oh, shiny, and then go somewhere else right after they're, right when they're just about to pay you. The last thing people want to do at any point in the transaction is fill out a form. But you have to make them do it, and you have to make them do it at the last step. So I strongly recommend doing that. Um, 
we have, most importantly over the past nine months, kind of crafted a process and an internal culture around constantly checking our own beliefs around things. I think that's been the biggest outcome. Um, we have a part-time developer on staff right now who is constantly making changes to try and optimize stuff from a like programming and technical debt perspective, which allow us to run tests considerably faster. Um, ideally, you always want a test to be running uh, as much as humanly possible. You want there to be kind of consistent tempo around it. And so you want to be building the next test while a given test is running. Um, so we built like a Trello board for vetting test ideas and researching them, and we kind of move things along on this Trello board. And then when we get to the point where we need to be building it, then I'm coordinating with the developer to be building it. If you don't have a developer, one thing I would recommend, install as few plugins as humanly possible in your Shopify store. And I know that sounds so cringe-worthy because plugins are a huge value-add to Shopify, but they add a lot of code dependencies and cruft that might actually bite you later. Like you wouldn't um, believe. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. Um, and I'm not just saying this about, I'm not saying this about KeySmart necessarily, but I have seen it enough. Uh and... Yeah, no, I. It's true of any store that installs, you know, several plugins. Even one could start adding, you know, these bizarre dependencies. And then, you know, to your earlier point about performance optimization, the single, you know, there's two things I that generally cause those performance slowdowns. One is the giant image, like you described. Um, it's very common because people say, "I want my image to look the best," so they save it out in the highest possible size. Then, lo and behold, you know, it it causes these bloated load times. Um, but also uh, plugins and apps. Each time you add one, it starts adding code dependencies. And like you'll see sites that load jQuery like four and five times because these apps aren't paying attention to each other. And you know you've installed something and uninstalled it. But yeah, so a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know that's definitely something that can weigh down your site and keep you from being able to make changes nimbly. Like. It's so funny. It's this combination of like the whole Facebook move fast and break things mentality, but you're doing it in this like not so fast we need to research it way. So you're making a lot of changes, but a lot of it is like almost infrastructural, substructural, where you're figuring out, okay, well, how am I creating a separate product so that I can make changes to that and shunt people there as a variant page? How can I create variations on Shopify's end using if-then logic? Um, and there's no like inbuilt framework for this. So you're running a test maybe on a um, you're running a test on maybe one product page that has uh, if then logic if you're particularly sophisticated, or you're just running two SKUs and hoping to God that the inventory works out. <laughs> and and I've I've definitely encountered both of those situations. If you're in a position like KeySmart, you cannot afford to have two different SKUs and hope that the inventory works out for reasons you had just mentioned, Kurt. Right. So, right. It's, it can be really, really difficult there. Yeah. So going back, you had mentioned uh, heat maps. Yeah. Two questions. What is good heat mapping software? And two, what am I supposed to get out of heat mapping? Yeah. So um, that's a great... I'm, I'm going to start with the first one. Sure. Uh, the second one first. Um, so... You're supposed to understand where people are interacting with the page, 
where people aren't interacting with the page, and then you figure out how that squares up with your business goals. Um, I've written a huge, huge deep dive on heat maps recently that talks about, that actually goes through a couple example ones and then says, okay, well, people aren't clicking on our primary call to action. Why is that happening? Um, oh, well, this area is lighting up like a Christmas tree. Why are they going here? And you just have to ask yourself, well, why are they going here? Not how can I make them do something else? Because they're not somebody to be like, you know, cudgeled into like actually doing the thing that you want. You have to investigate their motivations, right? Why is the page persuading people to go to the thing that I don't want them to go to? Um, and then you start to come up with some speculations about it and you say, well, okay, well, maybe they're not ready to buy. Maybe it's a high involvement product. Maybe it's not our flagship product, but it's the cheapest product. Maybe uh, it's in the masthead image and we've never bothered swapping out the masthead image. Um, maybe it's um, maybe it's just the first place that people go after viewing a Facebook ad. And so we haven't like actually segmented this sensibly enough. Um, so the thing you're trying to figure out about heat maps is like real world customer behavior, right? Um, good tools for it. Um, I use for most of my like Shopify clients, I already have heat maps that I get out of my AB testing framework, which is visual website optimizer. You can go to VWO.com. It's a little bit overkill if you're not actually running AB tests yet. In that case, I would recommend hotjar.com. It's a weird, dumb name, but H-O-T-J-A-R.com. Um, and they're like 29 a month. It's just comically cheap and you get heat map scroll map um you get to see people's like cursor and finger as they go around a screen um which is amazing and always like really compelling evidence for a client um usually when you show heat maps to clients they feel like they're staring directly into the matrix because they've never actually seen the real world behavior in that visual way before and they they go a little feral over it which is great <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Um, but that like heat maps and Google analytics are only two of the things that I do. I also actually get paying customers on the phone and talk to them for an hour about like why, what competitors they vetted and why they chose to buy it at this point in time and what motivated them and, uh, whether they're using it now and, um, what their problems were beforehand and all these things. Um, I'm also running, I actually ran a annual survey for, for Keysmart in particular recently, and it was asking about like other everyday carry things, and that's going to shape a lot of the other products that we're going to be putting out later. So there's a lot of like other strategic things that you can be doing. It's not just about vetting the impact of the design decisions, but you end up like drilling down in the business needs in a lot of ways and saying, okay, well, what does this business stand for? Is it selling a bunch of this widget to people or is it providing a broader ecosystem around the thing that we care about? Um, neither are bad answers, right? You just need to know what the answer is so you don't go down the wrong rabbit hole. This sounds um, a lot like, you know, a lot less like traditional A-B testing and more, um, you know, business strategy and uh, uh, user research, which I think are you know, are, are, are incredibly valuable things. But is it A-B testing? Yeah, it's, well, I say it's research-driven A-B testing, right? Okay. It's not, A-B testing is a tool that you use in the service of optimization. And it is usually the last step if you're getting a certain number of sales and many Shopify, if you're on Shopify Plus and you're listening to this, you probably get enough sales for A-B testing. Um, if you get, eh, 500 to 1,000, that's probably the minimum, um, especially if you have like one flagship product and all your traffic is going in there, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, 
A-B testing, I mean, you should not be stabbing in the dark on your design decisions. You should not be arguing internally about your design decisions and wheel spinning and then saying, well, we'll A-B test our way out of the hole. That is not a good strategy for making changes to your site. That is how you end up getting a 12.5% success rate on A-B tests industry-wide. And that is true, right? But if you research stuff and just say people aren't clicking here, even something that basic ups the success rate to probably around 58, 59 in drafts case. Um, and that's tests that are generating revenue, not like mailing list signups, not like people are engaging with the page more. No, no, no. Screw those things. What matters is that you are increasing revenue, decreasing costs, or decreasing risk to the business. And in A-B testing, you're getting at least two of those things every single time. So, yeah, I think that's, um, you know, you have to end up backing it up with research. It's absolutely essential. Um, if people say, I want to cut the research and I just want you to run A-B tests for me, I'd probably nope out of the project. Oh, I can, I can pretty much, knowing you, I can assure you that's what you would do. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. and why wouldn't you? I mean, at, you, at that point, you, you're just shooting in the dark. Yeah, and honestly, like, I'd charge you, I have probably a moral obligation to not take the project at that point, because at that point, I would take early five figures of your money, do a bunch of not research, be a marionette for you, not get good business results, and you would waste money on me. And then we would part ways and everyone would feel frustrated and you would think that A-B testing writ large is a failure. My goal in my career is to make sure that people understand that design decisions have an economic impact. And I'm doing a tremendously bad disservice to the cause of design if I would take a project that did not actually have research as a component for it. I don't have a good follow-up question. <laughs> I've just nod. <laughs> Dragnet mm -hmm. theme plays in the background. <laughs> what? Uh, God, all right, give me a good. Give me a good next question. I got nothing. <laughs> um. So now that we actually the problem have is you're a pro too good. The problem is I'm too good. I'm yes. sorry. Um. So you know, there's this is a big mindset thing. Like it's it's something people are used to design decisions by debate, right? They're used to right. There's batting around this, ideas. What even I, when I yeah. You know, even getting hired as a designer, you go through this constant like back and forth um, with clients, and that's why you have to back up a lot of, you know, a lot of design design decisions. Saying like, well, I didn't just pick that because it looked pretty. You know, here's here's the reasoning behind it. Here's I've cited my sources. And even then, you're going to get pushback. You know, or the person's going to say, well, my dog doesn't like blue, so you have to change this kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I actually run into this baby testing clients. Like I've had one recently. Uh, not Keysmart, um, who are lovely clients. They are insanely brilliant. They are a wonderful team. And there is a foible. There's a foible at play here where we have the Trello board where we're suggesting different uh, design decisions and all these things. And we'll start batting it around. And in the critique process, most good designers, they have what's called the yes, no, yes. Other places call it the shit sandwich. <laughs> and uh, where you say, I love this idea. I think that we might need to change it in a little bit this way or what's your thinking on that or something like that and then you end it with another yes like uh, again I think that this is really cool I just wanted to know what's going on here right so that um, is classic critique active listening technique nonviolent communication that allows people to not feel threatened or imposed upon when you're proposing something right um, which is great right um, it's super useful and what they see is that's a great idea and they're like great I just shipped it 
And I'm like, well, no, this is a board for testing ideas that have to be tested and researched and there's got to be a process. And so I ended up having to like spell out, here's what happens when, a t- how, here's how test ideas get on, fire hose them on. Here's what happens when they get on. They need to go through this process, not only to make me feel good about having this actually go the way we want it to, but also to kind of expose it to the harsh light of day, right? Like we need to make sure that not only is it a good idea to us, but it's actually a revenue generating idea for the business. And that involves research. That involves spending a little more time actually thinking about the ramifications of the decision. That involves squaring it up against all the other decisions that we've put together in the past, right? Like the more tests we run, the more likely it is we're going to continue coming up with decisions that don't work for us or that we've already tried in some other form. And we want to make sure we're not you know, spinning our wheels on this. Um, so I had to go and sit down and say, you know, you want to do A-B testing. Like you hired me. That seems obvious enough. But you're still thinking in a way that is like the Socratic inquiry design decisions that that everybody does. And I get why you do it. It's because you have like 10 years background in this industry and that's all you've known. And then I have to come in and be the fun ruiner, right? <laughs> I'm really good at ruining people's fun. I'm really good at it. Um, and I don't like having to come in and be the fun ruiner. I like it when people agree broadly with the concept of A-B testing and then figure out the execution behind it, right? Um, and there's a lot of like psychological impact to that too, you know? Like when a test fails and you have to say, well, we should keep testing. You don't look good politically by doing that as a consultant or as a worker or anything. If you're the champion of the project, you look terrible to your boss, right? Um, And the best clients are ones where we'll spend like three months planning a test and putting together this giant ambitious rework and it fails miserably and they're like, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, the the testing saved you from wasting more time on what would be a boondoggle of a project. But if you let, you know, if you get emotionally invested in it and you have people, you know, fighting for... um, you know, their, their design candidate for just to save face, it doesn't work. And that's where split testing gives everyone this easy out. You know, when I argue with my children and clear, like they just want an out, but they don't want to have to say, well, I was wrong. They'll always take the out if you give it to them. And I think that's, um, as a, a tool for ending uh, internal debates, split testing is wonderful. And, you know, in your own language, you say, well, it it defangs them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, if you have a process for considering design decisions, it defangs them and it also removes what in UX parlance is called the hippo or the highest paid person's opinion. <laughs> I love it. I, I relish it nothing more than when the like high school marketing intern comes up with a like testable design decision that bumps revenue by 15% and I just nope out the CEO's design decisions. It's like one of my favorite <laughs> things. It's so satisfying. I'm like, you know... John over here um, actually made 15% more revenue for the business and we're paying him barely minimum wage. Yeah, and, and you can't... credit. <laughs> you know, and no one want, no one's going to argue with that because who doesn't... No. If, you're, if you're the business owner, if you're the employee, your goal is ROI. So, right. and split testing gives you this beautiful framework to do that. Right, and ROI is also measurable in decreasing in costs, right? And that can come in... 
the most classic example for A-B testing is like, this was a disastrous thing and it lost 11% revenue and now we're not rolling it out to everyone. So we avoided a bullet, right? That's the most classic one. But I tell you, I've run Shopify A-B tests that paired back the number of SKUs that we were offering and ended up decreasing overall like cost of goods and cost of manufacturing by like 25, 30%. Because it turned out nobody gave a crap about all the ancillary products that we were offering and offering it in one color or one size actually worked better for us. Yeah, you're eliminating, um, in many cases, you're eliminating choice paralysis. People yeah. don't have to consider the thing they probably don't want. And even yeah. if it was like one in five, you know, you still have uh, Pareto's principle, that 80-20 rule, and you're exploiting that by offering fewer products. People like, store owners often act like I'm crazy when I suggest that. I'm like, have you considered offering fewer products here or fewer options? And they're like, what? No, you know, more products means more money. And it isn't the case. Not always. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can cite a bunch of consumer research around it. But like Shopify store owners have and just storners in general, they have a habit of like, they made a successful product and now let's make it in green or let's make it slightly larger or let's put Swarovski crystals on it or something, you know? And, and they, they get antsy because there's this like constant process of reinvention and it might juice the numbers temporarily because you're getting a little bit more engagement from like collectors or something like that. And that could work in the long term if you're a brand like Field Notes and you like release something new every three months and you can run out of it really quickly. But most storefronts probably don't have that luxury or they're probably not creating goods that are amenable to, to doing that. And so I would, you know, removing products is one of those things. And that's one where it's like, maybe we are settling a debate, but like, what's the monetary upside? And I asked them to like, you know, we got rid of these products. That's great. Like, what's the upside for you? He's like, oh, probably we just reduced manufacturing expenses by 25%. I'm like, <laughs> just peel jaw off the floor. Like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> So My invoice is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to hire Nick D, if yep. I want to hire hire you to to do my split testing, I know you actually run a, a business that's small by design, um, so you can take on a, a limited number of clients at any one time. Yeah. So I can I can hire you, or or you can. Um, so there are there are a few ways to uh, enlist my services. Uh, so the Easiest thing that you can do right now, if you go to abtestingmanual.com, I, uh, I'm writing a book and creating a video course around everything you need to know about AB testing for your store, right? Um, there are three different packages. One of them is just the book if you just want to know tactics about how to run an AB test and research it. Another is the video course that talks about all the strategy, like the things that we were just talking about around like dealing with disappointment around A-B tests, dealing with the psychological impact of it, the mindset shift needed in an organization. And then the third thing, which is obviously my favorite, is I come in and do a giant teardown of your site and you get the video course and everything else. Um, and it's like a hour-long video teardown. Like I actually go through on screencasts and pick everything apart and offer a ton of testable ideas. I also run heat maps and 
fine tune your Google Analytics install for you. So um, that's the deluxe wash. If you want the really big package where I come in and run A-B tests for you and dictate your strategy, um, that is probably going to be accepting new clients shortly before the holidays, knock on wood. Um, I don't know when this episode runs, but um, I'm hoping to open up like one slot for a store owner probably end of November-ish. Um, that might give us enough time to start A-B testing in earnest for the holidays. Um, it might get us enough time to get a plan going, but timeline depends heavily on like where your site's at and um, what you've got installed, what your team looks like, that sort of thing. Um, but if you go to draft.nu, I spell this all out. Um, probably your best option is grab a copy of the A-B testing manual, read through it, see if it makes sense as something that you should be doing for your business. Um, you should really only be working on A-B testing. You can work on optimization. Anyone can do that. Anyone can fix browser bugs or compress the images on their mobile pages. Um, but if you're running A-B testing, you should probably have around 500 to 1,000 transactions a month minimum. Uh, and that's not everyone who's listening to this. Uh, but it could be you someday. And maybe you'll think of me then. So, <laughs> so what's we're coming to the end of time together. Uh, yep. I want to see if you have any closing thoughts. Uh, so what's one thing you wish every Shopify store owner would do? Oh, God. Your biggest enemy is yourself most of the time. <laughs> when you think about the way that people are engaging with your product, you may be wrong. And that is scary. You're the one who is the most informed about your product. Um, you think about it every day. It's your job. It's your life's work. Um, but that's exactly why you shouldn't trust yourself on it. And the most important thing that you can do is listen to your customers and do what you can to research it. Whether or not you A-B test anything after is, that's up to you. But take the time to like run a survey. You can put together something on Typeform in 15 minutes and blast it out to your mailing list and put it as a call out on your homepage for a week and then analyze what the impact is. And it might teach you a lot. What do you think about including a link? If you made a survey like that, and it's easy to use Typeform, Wufu, there's no reason you shouldn't. The data you get out of those things is unbelievably valuable. What do you think about including that in the uh, order confirmation, in the receipt that they oh, get? Oh, I love that. I actually love doing kind of like life cycle emails too. So you get an order confirmation, but like they haven't actually delivered the product yet. So the order confirmation might be like, jobs to be done type stuff like Clayton Christensen type questions like what led you to do this what was the last thing you uh, had an objection about before you went and purchased um, who else did you consider that sort of stuff um, that's really great to get right at the height of purchase because it's also the height of enthusiasm I love also sending a survey or sending a survey separately um, maybe like two or three months after they received the product like are you still using it how did you enjoy it do you have any issues with it um were there any problems with like assembly or something like that? Um, those are amazing, amazing for figuring out not just like how to actually talk about it on your website and get revenue generating changes, but maybe even for like how you help with onboarding on the product, right? Like how you help with maintenance of the product or something like that. Like, is it a leather wallet? Is it prone to cracking? Great. Sell a bottle of Neat's foot oil on your site and get people to condition their wallets. Like, push that a lot in a little card that you ship with the product, that sort of stuff. Um, it's, you know, optimization affects every part of the business. So. Absolutely. Oh, I, yeah. Those are all great tips. Um, so what's one piece of information you'd like to correct about A-B testing? Um, it is not a sack of money button. It is a tool. <laughs> 
It is not a panacea for your job. It is a tool, right? Like, and it is one part of optimization and you have to be considering things more holistically than just this headline converts better. Very good. And lastly, where could people go to learn more about you? Draft.nu. Uh, that's N as in Nick, U as in the letter U, university, that. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, if you want to learn more about the A-B testing manual, abtestingmanual.com is your best option there. Nick, thank you. It's been my honor and pleasure. Uh, total honor. Thank you so much for having me back on. So however this audio made it into your ears, you can find out more about it at unofficialshopfypodcast.com. And if you'd like to be notified whenever a new episode goes live, subscribe at iTunes. Join our, our Facebook group, Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders, uh, or sign up for my newsletter, curtelster.com, and I'll shoot you an email whenever we post a new episode. Thanks, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast is distributed by EtherCycle, LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.